Well, good morning. Here we are in the almost the middle of July, huh? Can you believe it? I know there's no students that want to hear it, but summer's almost over. <laughs> Not really, right? <laughs> oh my. Well, it's great to have you here this morning and uh trust your hearts are encouraged uh, in as we think and all that God has uh, provided for us. And, and I want to, as we move into our scripture this morning, I um, have to ask you, how many of you enjoy history? Oh, hey, okay. yeah, good. That, I, I, did, I, did, I thought I heard a little moan, but uh, that's okay. I, I get it. That history, reading history, studying history, it's just like Math and English and science and whatever else, sometimes people enjoy it, sometimes they don't. But history is really a pretty cool thing because you can look back and learn a lot. And, and uh, one of the things I like to do when uh, we go on vacation, I every summer for the last number of years have picked up a, a book on the Revolutionary War. I love to read the history of the Revolutionary War and all that went on there and just be reminded of uh, what things were like and what God did and, and how we use people and all the rest of that. But as we think about that, you may also be one, as you hear those words, history, who would say, well, I mean, why do I need to know this? This is old. It's, it's over with. It's done. What in the world? Or what's this got to do with me? Right? Ever felt that way? Those of you that aren't so interested in history? Well, came across a quote this week. Um, not the first time I'd seen it. Uh, dug through it a little bit more. And those who cannot remember the past are contemned to repeat it. And uh, George Santayana is a philosopher who said this first. And as I kept studying and thinking, reading through, I came across another one that was right next to it that's somewhat similar from Winston Churchill in 1948. And he said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Now, sometimes he's given the credit for the original quote, but this is actually the difference in how he said it. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Paul's telling us that here today. In fact, we're going to look at a little bit of the history of the nation of Israel because Paul does that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, his challenge is for us to learn from the history of the nation of Israel. He was challenging the church at Corinth to learn from the history of the nation of Israel. And we today are as well challenged to learn from the history of the nation of Israel as well as the history of the church at Corinth. So open your Bibles, please, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we do have our Bibles, uh, Bibles available under the seats in front of you. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, would like one, uh, they're there for you. Page 798, you can pick that up. And if you need a Bible, again, please feel free to take that Bible with you. That's our gift to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. I'm not going to take the time right now to read them, but as you're finding your way into Scripture, we're going to look through this as we move through. But as we get into these verses this morning, folks, listen, it is critical that we understand that what Paul is saying, what he's not saying. 
This is not about Israel learning from their mistakes. There are plenty of quotes about making mistakes, and uh, I think uh, a, a Thomas Edison one was, um, uh, I think it was him anyway, it's like if you don't make mistakes, you're not trying anything new. Well, we're not here to talk about mistakes this morning. Because that's not the issue that Paul's addressing as he looks back at the history of the nation of Israel. It is critical that we understand that it is not about Israel or Corinth learning from their mistakes, but it is about Israel and their sin. It is about the church at Corinth learning from the sin of Israel. Is it about you and I today learning from the sin of the church in Corinth and learning from the sin of the nation of Israel, of the history of Israel as we find it in Scripture? Israel didn't make mistakes. I was talking uh, with my wife about this yesterday, was sharing with her some of the things. We, we uh, drove down to New Jersey. Uh, my best friend, our, my best man, guy I grew up with, has celebrated his 70th birthday yesterday. Now some of you are going, wow, that's old. And some of you are going, wow, that's young, right? But anyway, we drove down and back last night and we were talking about that. And, and, and she said, yeah, that's, that's a good point because a mistake is like I was making brownies and I should have put in uh, this ingredient, eggs, and instead I put in maple syrup or, you know, I forget how she said it, but that's the gist of it, right? That's a mistake. She'd never put maple syrup in her brownies. I, I put it on my cream of wheat. I like that. But, uh, but anyway, you understand, that's a mistake. It's not a sin. What Israel did isn't makes mistakes. They sinned against God. They disobeyed. And so much of what we hear today in the church and, and the world around us is that people just make mistakes. And we need to be understanding. Yes, we need to be. We do make mistakes. But that's not the issue here. The issue is sin. And the problem in our society today isn't people making mistakes. It's sin. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. But as we look at that, it's critical that we understand that what Paul's talking about, what he's looking back on in the history of the nation of Israel, what he's telling the church at Corinth to understand that they can't be ignorant about is that they don't want to sin. What Paul had said in chapter 9, verse 27 is, I don't want to be disqualified. After ministering the word of God, I don't want to be disqualified because I lack discipline or because I didn't take the time to sacrifice my freedom and rights because I wasn't concerned about lost people because I wasn't concerned about the advancement of the gospel in our society. I don't want to be disqualified by sin in my life. And that's what we need to get as we understand because all we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus not because we've made mistakes. We need Jesus because we are sinners. Because we're born that way. Because we choose to sin. Because our nature is prone to sin without Jesus. That's why we need what 
Jesus did on the cross when God so loved this world, all of us, that he sent his son Jesus to die so that if we believe, we could have forgiveness of sin and be made right, declared righteous before God. That's what we're talking about here. So as we move through, it's critical that you understand this isn't about Israel or Corinth or heritage learning from their mistakes. It's understanding the sin that God says stay away from. And as we look at the sin of Israel, we need to learn to be obedient to God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and the first 13 verses. Now, we left off with Paul in the end of verse no, or chapter 9. Paul said, hey, I'm so burdened about lost people. He would, be one, he would be one, Jake, who absolutely could identify with Charles Spurgeon. That he didn't want people, if they're falling over the cliff into hell, he wanted them to be holding on to his legs and ankles and whatever else because that's how burdened Paul was for lost people. He was concerned. He said, man, I've made myself a slave to everybody so that I may win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people to win some, to save some. And then he said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. And as we continue on, Paul is still dealing with the question of meat offered to idols. He's still talking in this chapter, though he doesn't mention it specifically. He's building on what he just said, because when we get to chapter 10, he is he's talking about where he just was, because verse 27, the last verse of chapter 9, he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Well, what was it? It was the lack of understanding about our freedoms and rights. It was a lack of concern about lost people. It was a lack of concern about leading weaker conscience people to sin. And now he didn't want to be knocked out of the race. And so he's illustrating in chapter 10 what he was talking about. So verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So the outline. I put the whole thing on before, and if you're taking notes, you can write this stuff down as we move through. We're we're not going to get to verse 13 today. We'll deal with that next week, but it will go through each of these points of the outline. In the first four verses, Paul was talking about God's provision for the nation of Israel. That same provision in different ways, God will provide for his church, Corinth heritage. And then as we look at God's judgment on what had happened in, chap- in verse 5 of chapter 10, Israel's sin, as we look at verses 6 to 10, and then the examples and warnings, what are we supposed to learn, verses 11 and 12. And so Paul starts out by saying, don't be ignorant. Look what God did. 
Look what God did for the nation of Israel. Look at the amazing benefits. Look at the privileges that they had. Look at the advantages they had. Look at it. God poured his favor all over the nation of Israel. Don't miss this. This is critical because God has done those great and amazing things for each of us. Yes, they look differently. But God has done so much. John talked about that. If there's a whiteboard at the front door to the church to say you walk in this morning, write something on there for which you can praise God, there is a ton of things that we could put there. And so as Paul rehearses before Israel, he's illustrating the possibility of being disqualified. He's challenging them. So as we look at God's provision, he, he right down through those verses, he gets there, uh, our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. What's he talking about? Well, when the nation of Israel left Egypt, uh, God led them every step of the way, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. You can go back in the book of Exodus and begin to look and see how God directed them. And he says, look what God did for you. Then he said, they all passed through the sea. Uh, and, and that was, okay, right after that, God directed him. It looked like, man, they were in trouble. Pharaoh changed his mind, was coming after them. And yet they were backed up to the Red Sea. They had nowhere to go. Pharaoh's on one side, the Red Sea, the water on the other. There's nowhere to go. And yet God delivered them. God took them through the sea. They passed through the sea. What was that? The Red Sea. God parted the waters. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then when the Egyptian army ended up in the middle of that, God closed in the waters. That was it. Done. God delivered them. They were all baptized into Moses. What are we talking about here? Baptism is an ordinance of the church. Baptism is something that we do to, to identify with Jesus Christ, to take a stand and say, I and Jesus are one. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The identification is the idea. They were identified with Moses. His God-given leadership, God-appointed leadership over the nation of Israel. He goes on, he continues, he says, and they all ate the same spiritual food, verse 3. Verse 4, and drank the same spiritual drink. God provided manna, which means what's this? I mean, what a name, right? But, but, but that's what it was. God provided food for them to eat. God provided water for them to drink. That's what he's saying. God took care of them. They all ate the same spiritual food and spiritual drink. And I think spiritual in the case here is, means supernatural. God provided that. God did that. And when you read back through the history of the nation of Israel and how God directed them every step of the way and provided them with water and food in the midst of their complaining, grumbling. God provided in a supernatural, spiritual way. And then he closes, verse 4. He says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. This is an Old Testament reference to the presence of power in God in the life of the nation of Israel. Some people think, well, Jesus didn't come along till, the, till he was born, right? Matthew 1, Luke 2, that first Christmas, that's when Jesus, no, Jesus always has existed. We believe the eternal Godhead, the triune God, all three, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally existent. 
Jesus Christ was and he was here. He was the one who guided and went with the nation of Israel, the spiritual rock. But there is a, 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 a tradition, a, a belief that the nation of Israel, they th- many would think that there was actually a rock that they carried with them. That's not what we're talking about here. There may have been some symbolism for them, but no, the person of Jesus, his presence of provision was with the nation of Israel. God's provision. What an amazing thing. John, I love that idea. The whiteboard. Because we ought to be able to fill that up. So my friend Ed yesterday, they had, uh, his kids did this party for him. It was a great time, but they had one of these, not a whiteboard, it was, they had stickers all over and you could write something, I love Ed because, and then they wanted you to write on the little sticker why you appreciated Ed. And so we wrote on there and, 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 and you'd put all kinds of things, people were putting things on there, but boy, we would have a whole lot more things to talk about as it relates to why can we praise God. Look what God did for Israel. And Paul's reminding the church at Corinth of their history. Then he goes on, God's judgment. Verse 5, wow. After all of what he just said in the first four verses, nevertheless, uh uh-oh, nevertheless, in other words, Paul's saying, after all that, God was not pleased. He says, with most of them. Folks, that's a huge understatement. Because he was not pleased with all but two, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only individuals, the nation of Israel, 20 years of age and up, who God didn't take their life during the 40 years that they wandered through the wilderness. So when We read, nevertheless, after, you know, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. If you want to have an imagination to begin to picture that, there would have to have been bodies upon bodies along the way at certain places. Why? Because there were a lot of people, a lot of men, that God ended their life on earth disqualified because of their sin. And we'll see that in just a minute. Most of them, all but Joshua and Caleb. Look at, look at Numbers chapter 13. And, and what, what you can do is write this down and then go back and read Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Just dig through the history of the nation of Israel and see what was all involved. Each of these accounts that Paul deals with could be a, an individual message in and of itself. But we, we might miss the point, and if we took all of that time, it's a great study, and there's a lot to be learned. Obviously, we many times go back to the Old Testament and take things way out of context. We, we'd like to use it as a springboard to jump off of these great Old Testament stories to prove some point that we'd like to make, and yet that you have to be careful. But what we do need to understand is that Paul is referring back to Old Testament history. There's a lot to learn. So when you look at this, look at chapter 13. Look at verse 26. Then they came back to Moses. This is after Moses sent out 12 spies. We know the story, right? Ten were bad. Two were good, right? Remember that song, some of you? Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Well, don't worry about it. 
there were 12 spies. Ten were bad, two were good. And, and what we find, they reported, and they didn't give a great report. Verse 28, actually, the people who lived there, this is what they said. After they said, hey, it's a great place, man. They have grapes that are this big and, and all kinds of great food and all the rest of it. But verse 28 of Numbers 13, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb, it's like he could see where this is going. These spies weren't to be giving commentary on what they thought. They were simply to report on what was in the land. They changed what the plan had been. And Caleb then silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Why? Because Joshua and Caleb knew God had promised them the land and said, come on. Chapter 14, verse 1, that night all the members of the community, Israel, raised their voices and wept their loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This whole, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Are you kidding me? Wait a minute, you guys remember the whining and complaining when you were in slavery in Egypt and how you cried out to God? And how God delivered you. And now you're saying, <clears throat> if only we died in Egypt or in the, this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Verse 4, they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Come on. You've heard us say it. Sin makes you stupid. Perfect example. So you want to go back to Egypt. Wow. That's what they're saying. As we move through verse 9. Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, they, uh, you know, they're there listening to this. And Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. Verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land. Uh, but the Lord, the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? God's going to wipe them out. Moses, as you look at verse 13 and down, he prays for the people of Israel. He's like, God, don't do this. Don't kill them. Don't wipe them out. What would the nations around us think if that's what you did? You bring them all out of Egypt and then you kill them. Why? Because you couldn't get them to do what you wanted them to do. They're concerned about God's testimony. And Moses is praying for these rebellious, unbelieving people. Verse 20, the Lord replied, I've forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promise on oath to their ancestors. No one who's treated me with contempt will ever see it. That's what those people did. Treated God with contempt because they wouldn't believe him. Whew. Verse 30, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make you to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Check out the rest of chapter 14. It's an amazing story. A lot to learn. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what he says. Certainly the believers in the church could, could not, would not, Repeat the history. The church in Corinth, they would not do that. And yet they did. 
And we would say at Heritage today in 2021, certainly we would never think that. We would, we, I mean, we sit back and say, are you kidding me? Look what God did for them. And, and God brought them through the Red Sea and they saw the power of God, the miracle. God, that we would never do anything like that. And, and yet Paul's saying, we better be careful because they did and we will too if we're not careful. Do not disqualify yourselves is what Paul is saying. Look at verse 6. Also, more of God's judgment, that's because of sin. That's what we're talking about. Now, these things, verse 6, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did, as Israel did. Look at that statement. These things occurred as examples to keep us. Paul was saying that to the church at Corinth. The truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit is also saying that to us at Heritage in 2021. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. You say, what are those evil things? Well, every time we we, we look at these, there's four illustrations from the history of the nation of Israel. And, And we'll see all kinds of evil, but that's what they wanted. So look at them, verse 7, the first one, do not be idolaters. Now understand, these aren't mistakes again, folks. This is sin. This is sin. Israel didn't just make a mistake by not going into the land. They sinned against God. That's what he's talking about. And so he says, okay, so do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Take a look at Exodus 33. We won't go there. You write it down. Exodus 32, excuse me. Exodus 32. And if you remember the history of the nation of Israel, Moses and Joshua were up on the mountain getting the law, the Ten Commandments. And while they were up there, it took a while, and so they came to Aaron, who was in charge, Moses had left behind, and they said, hey, Aaron, we don't know what's happened to Moses. What in the world? Where did he go? What's going on? Make us a God that we can worship. What? Yeah. They already knew the one God. Make us a God. So, well, okay, give me all your jewelry and earrings, and, and, and what, what happens Moses makes a gold, or Aaron makes a, a golden calf. And Moses is up and God sends him down the mountain and says, hey, the people that you brought out are, are going crazy. Moses gets down there and has to deal with the sin of Israel, has to deal with Aaron who led them in that because they worshiped this golden calf. They had just come out of Egypt. They'd seen that kind of worship. And so they wanted to do it themselves. That's what they knew. We don't know what's happened to Moses. We don't know what's happened to our God. And they worshiped the golden calf. And then what we're told there is, as well is that afterwards that's what it says right in verse 7 the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry isn't it interesting that Moses or Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about eating food offered to idols in if you go back to chapter 8 in temples pagan temples and now he's talking about food and drink here back that the nation of Israel is worshiping this golden calf. And after they did that, they got up to indulge in revelry. 
immorality. Idolatry always leads to immorality. We worship something other than God. We put more time into something other than God. We always end up, that's what happens. We move away from God and immorality many, 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 many times. Maybe not always, but many times you see a pattern in scripture. It moves, you move away from God. The farther you move away from God, the more you get involved in immorality. I mean, look at our culture today. Just read a story, Hobby Lobby's being criticized for In God We Trust. Do not be idolaters. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. Numbers chapter 25 and verses 1 to 9. Numbers 25, and, and as we look back, write that down and, and look at the story, but as we look back at that, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, non-Israelite women. That wouldn't have been right with Israelite women, but either way, sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. See, the idolatry, the immorality connected. And then he goes on. The people are, uh, ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Verse 6, an Israelite man, while this is going on, while Moses is dealing with this, while the Lord's talking to Moses about this sin, verse 6, then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. Folks, I don't need to tell you what they were doing. Phineas takes a spear, follows them into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Now, what do you, now you know what they're doing. More immorality. And God says, down in verse 10, or 11, Phineas, son of Elijah, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was zealous for my honor among themselves, among them as I am, zealous among them as I am. Jake, I appreciate your zeal for lost people. I, I, I think that's zealous as God would have was, as Jesus was. Sexual immorality. He goes on, verse 9. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Numbers chapter 21, just go back if you looked at Numbers 25, Numbers chapter 21, and, and we, we read more about this probably uh, in John chapter 3. Before we get to John 3, 16, we, we find out in John 4, 3, 14, and 15 how that as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That was the cross. And here's where that story comes from. Numbers chapter 21. Israel was traveling. They traveled, verse 4 of Numbers 21, from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom on the way. They spoke against God. They spoke against God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Man, they never quit. There is no bread. 
There is no water, and we detest this miserable food. What do they mean? The manna. God provided it, and they hated it. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. Talk about being disqualified. Right? That's exactly what Paul was concerned about. It was happening in chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper. We've mentioned that. People came to Moses, we've sinned. We didn't make a mistake, God. Sorry, we didn't mean to criticize you. We didn't mean to complain. We didn't mean to question Moses' leadership. Pray that the Lord will make the snake, take the snakes away from us. And Moses prayed, the Lord said, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it, make, look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on the pole. And when anyone is bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they live. Why? Because it took faith. Faith to believe. Are you kidding me? We're supposed to look at this bronze snake on a pole and really think that we're going to not die when we get bit by a poisonous snake? Yeah. Why? Because that's faith. Faith to believe what God said would happen. That was what got them into trouble. God gave them manna. Oh, we want bread. We want what? What? No. Again, putting God to the test. Do not grumble is the next one in verse 10. Numbers chapter 11. You could see that. You, can, you could just about read through the pages of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you could probably see at least one or two grumbles per page. It's just all over the place. When they grumble, they're questioning God's appointed leadership in their lives and when they doubt God's leadership they're doubting God over and over and over again that's the pattern in scripture and as he leads through all of these we get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 these things happened to them as examples to Israel. And then he says, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. That's us. The end of the ages has come. That's us. We're, we're near the end of the ages. Of course, Paul said that to the Corinthians. They were as well. I mean, Paul thought that the return of the Lord was going to be at any minute. Here we are, right? 2,000 years later, same thing. And that's what we're talking about. But these things happened. They were written down as warnings for us. Right now, warnings for us. Paul said that to the church at Corinth, and when we read that scripture, it's true for us. They're warnings for us. What are those warnings? Well, again, Paul is illustrating what happened in Israel so that they would understand what he meant when he said, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be kicked out of the race. I don't want my life on this earth to end until God takes my life because I want to be busy about the work of God. I want to be reaching lost people. I want to get the prize. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I will not be disqualified. The word means to be found inadequate, means unacceptable, but needs to be rejected, means to be phony, bogus, if you want to use a today word. 
misleading in appearance. You know, last week we talked about Ben Johnson. Talked about how in the 1988 Olympics, he cheated. But when he ran the race, nobody knew he cheated. He ran the race in world Olympic time, both of them, set records. World records, Olympic records. And he won, got the gold medal. A day later, they find out he cheated because he was put to the test. But nobody saw that. Why? That's why the word disqualified also has in mind a misleading appearance. What do people think when they see us? That really doesn't matter. What does God think? Because we can fool people with our appearances. We can't fool God. Paul didn't want to be a fraud. Paul didn't want to be knocked out of the race because he was disqualified, because he chose evil instead of obedience to God. Verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul's most likely talking to those who know Chapter 8, he talked about the weak conscience people. So Paul would be talking probably to the stronger brothers and sisters. Now, again, Scripture doesn't use that term there. It doesn't use stronger. It talks about the weaker. But he'd be talking to those who had felt, hey, we know there's only one God. There's no such thing as idols. We don't care. And yet Paul said, yeah, but if it makes my brother or sister with a weak conscience sin, I'm not doing it. No matter how free I am to do it, no matter how much liberty I have, I'm not doing it. And so that's what Paul's referring to here. And he says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You who know, you who need to be willing to sacrifice your rights, you who need to be willing to be a slave to all, to do all for the sake of the gospel, to be disciplined, to put your body in strict training so we can reach people who need Jesus, so that we can help advance the kingdom in the glory of God and the gospel. Be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that you don't be disqualified. Be careful that you don't claim to know Christ, to be in the race, and live your life in such a way that you don't mean it. You're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Psalm 78, wow. You say, well, what are those things that would disqualify? Well, back to the history of the nation of Israel. Psalm 78 The first four verses, my people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. We need to carry on all the things that Paul was telling them about how God provided for the nation of Israel. God does that kind of stuff to this day. And we need to be passing it on to the next generation, moms and dads. Grandmas and grandpas passing it on to your kids still as adult children and to your grandkids and great-grandkids. Why? Because that's how people know. We direct them to the word. And then he goes down. Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded 
our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell them to their children. And when that happens, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. So what is it to put God to the test? What is it to grumble and complain? It is right here. It is forgetting what God has done. Verse 8, they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Verse 32 of Psalm 78, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 18 says they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. We looked at that and what Paul said. Because they wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. Putting God to the test and not believing. He's in charge. So what? So what do we learn from all this? What did Paul want the church at Corinth to learn? What does the Holy Spirit want us to learn? What will you do with these truths? Well, will you give up your freedom so that your brother or sister doesn't fall into sin? How about it? It may bother somebody here that Jake went to a bar to witness. It bothered people that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and sat with the tax collectors and the riffraff of the day. Why? To reach people for Christ. Will we do everything and anything to not hinder the advancement of the gospel as Paul talked about in the first 18 verses of chapter 9? Will we do all we can to win as many as people as possible to save some for the sake of the gospel in verses 19 to 23? Will we do whatever is necessary so that we're not disqualified? So that we walk by faith, not by sight? So that we're willing to believe God and follow him no matter what it looks like, no matter how many people disagree or are going the other way. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he warned Israel about. Can you imagine Joshua and Caleb standing not just again the other, against the other ten spies, but the whole nation? And those two guys, not, not Moses or Aaron, those two guys stood up to tell the truth. So what do we do with all this? They're warnings to us. Now we're not going to get to verse 13 in chapter 10. That was intentional. So let me say to you, I don't want to leave you hanging till next week. And as I was reading through and studying all this, God just directed my heart to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verses 14 and 15. And this is what Paul says. Chapter, uh, sec, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. So you're struggling. 
Like the church at Corinth, Paul's concerned, look back at Israel, learn from them. The church at Heritage, look back at Israel and learn from them. What do we do? Right here, 2 Timothy 2, 3, 14. We continue in what we have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you've learned. You know what I hear a lot today? In fact, not just that I hear it, it's being written about. We get, we get emails and, and all kinds of articles, you know, electronically. You can imagine, you get all that stuff too. Christianity Today, a place called Sermon Central, preachers this and so forth. You know one of the big hot topics the last two years has been people leaving churches because I'm not, I'm not growing. I just, I just need to grow. And I just, I just don't feel that here. Do you know what Paul's saying here? You see, verse 14, but as for you, do you know that second person plur, uh, singular? He's not talking to you, the church. He's talking to you as an individual believer. He says, as for you. He goes on and he says, you continue in what you have learned. You, as he's saying, and what you have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learn to think of the people that have taught us. We talked a few weeks ago about this whole idea of deconstruction that's going on in our country today. Believers, those who we thought knew Jesus Christ, and maybe they still do. Be careful that you don't just write them off. Apparently some just kind of throwing away their faith. Saying, I don't believe that, I'm going after something else. Well, questioning is a great thing if you're going back to what you were taught. And remember who taught it to you. But go back to Scripture. You. Now that can happen right here, but you know where I think it mostly has to happen? You in the privacy of your own home. You individually studying. Yes, come to church. Yes, be part of Heritage Institute. Yes, get involved in a community group. Those things are all designed to help you become convinced of what you believe. But when we throw all the blame off of ourselves to whatever, we've missed the boat, folks, because you'll never grow deep in your relationship with God if you don't do that individually. And then he says, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. God's word. This is God's word, folks. This isn't just good counsel. This isn't just interesting stuff. This isn't just a good option this isn't just something that if you would do it, oh, it could, it could really help you. It's, no, no, no. This is the authoritative word of God. And when we talk it, when we proclaim it here, when you dig into it on your own at home and read it, when you see the truth of the word of God, we must do it. That's part of the problem that Paul was telling the church at Corinth. Obey the scriptures. God's holy people must become what they already are. You want to grow? Dig into the word. Are you here faithfully Sunday morning? Right here? Are you partaking in a Heritage Institute class where you can learn all kinds of stuff about what the Bible says and how to use it? 
Are you involved in a community group where you dig into the Word of God? Where you pray together? Are you, are you doing those things? If not, you're not going to grow. If you're digging into it on your own at home, that's where it happens. All of that put together. It's the ministry of the Word through so many different avenues. Paul is saying, listen, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be kicked out of the race. I don't want God to take my life and end it here. I want to finish the race. I want to finish strong. And I hope that's a desire of your heart today as we talk about that. Folks, this isn't a game. Look around you. I can't hardly watch the news or listen to it. I look at Fox headlines every once in a while, CNN headlines every, and I want to throw up I want to go under my bed and just hide. We got work to do. And we need to start doing what the Bible says, the authoritative word of God. If you're struggling with what you believe, if you're asking questions, keep asking them. But ask them from the truth of the word of God. Ask them from those who taught you. Go back to them and learn all you can learn and say, help me understand there's nothing wrong with asking questions. But make sure you go to the right place for answers. Right here. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. God, for those of us who know Jesus, oh, help us to stay at it to faithfully dig into the Word of God every chance we get. Right here, in this building, in community groups, our Heritage Institute, God at home, the privacy of your own place. Oh God, help each of us to do that. To learn and to hold on to what we know is true. And the question, but to go to your word, your truth. God, don't let us waste our lives. Don't let us go through the motions and then just be disqualified. God, use us to reach lost people. Use us to encourage one another for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Next week, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Real hope and encouragement there. Have a great week.